courtesy of the pastor, maybe. Good evening. Hi. Um, we have a birthday to celebrate. Uh, John Hughes is 418 years old today. You know, with this picture, he's looking pretty good for <laughs> for four centuries. Um, it's possible that there are some people in here I don't know. My name is Steve Marshall. I have the privilege of being highly qualified to work for the church, an MBA in nonprofit management from here at John Paul the Great. A spiritual theology degree means I ask a lot of questions, and uh, especially about our relationship with God and how do we get in touch with God and how does God get in touch with us. Uh, for six years, while I was gaining most of that education, I was in discernment with the Eudists in formation to be a Catholic priest with the Eudists, and discernment worked really well. I found out that I love the spirituality, I love the mission, I love the community, but there was a different way of life, way of me, way for me to live it out that fit better. So now I'm gainfully employed as a theologian. That doesn't happen often. And uh, I'm two years married. We live in Escondido in a fixer-upper house. And tomorrow I'm going to do a lot of yard work. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, what I want to cover today is John Newt's mysticism and a term that often goes along with mysticism, asceticism. And if you're not familiar with the word, don't worry. We have a slide just for that. Um, and then I want to go into a couple examples of how John Newton's mysticism might be learned, might be lived out. One at the grocery store, and the other one, maybe not as fun, where is Jesus located when we hurt? Uh, before we launch into it, can anyone not hear me? Is my volume okay? Okay. Uh, can everyone see the slides well enough? Good. Okay. Anything else before we go? Wonderful. The title of the talk didn't come from me. Uh, there's a scholar named Dr. William Thompson who wrote a book. He's one of the few that's written in English on John Eudes and his contemporaries. And he says, St. John Eudes, especially under the influence of Francis de Sales, developed a form of everyday mysticism. And if we're going to launch into that, we should start by defining our terms. What is mysticism? And I thought it'd be fun to open up the floor. How, do you, how would you describe mysticism if someone was to ask you? Just chime in when you're ready. It's got a spiritual element. OK. Something that can't be explained in physical terms. OK. Can't be explained beyond the physical. What else? That's that's a really key point, and we'll I, we have a slide on that. Yes. Prayer and re and relationship. Okay, so prayer is definitely connected. Relationship is 
at the heart of it, I'd, I'd hazard to say. How else would you describe mysticism? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's very much where the root word comes from. Mysticism is not a uniquely Christian concept. Uh, it's a Greek word, the one that we use, and it means a secret or hidden knowledge known only to a select few. Uh, it's related to another word, gnosis. Uh, sometimes you hear about the Gnostics. We're all about uh, finding the hidden knowledge and the hidden ways to God. Um, but then somebody said uh, an experiential, an experience of relationship with the divine. Um, that's especially in Christian mysticism. That's a lot of the image that's usually attached to it. Uh, someone has an experience of relationship with God beyond the veil. So, does does anyone recognize the statue here, the sculpture? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep, absolutely. The the transverberation, the the ecstasy of Teresa of Avila. Bernini sculpted it, and it's in a chapel in Rome. And I don't know if you've seen the whole statue, but her uh, her gown is like uh, like the waves on a choppy sea. There's just so much movement and. Like her toes are curled in delight, and it—it's uh, a a portrayal of an episode that Saint Teresa recounted in her autobiography. Uh, Hugo, could I ask you to read some of that? Sure. Um, if you Albert, can. Albert was pleased that I should have at times a vision of this kind. I saw an angel close by me, in his hand a long spear of gold. At the point, there seemed to be a little fire. He appeared to me to be thirsting, thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very, pierce my very entrails. When Terry. we drew it out. Terry, could you pick up? No. no. OK. <laughs> When he drew it out, he seemed to draw them out also to leave me all on fire with the great love of God. The pain was so great that it made me moan, and yet so surpassing was the sweetness of this excessive pain. The soul is satisfied now with nothing less than God. So we'll pause there. That's that's the image that most often goes with the with the idea of mysticism. It's this encounter that's. You can't describe it. You can't put it into words, I think Pat said. Uh, but it's, it's excruciatingly beautiful because it's a, an unmediated contact with God or, or something to that effect. The other part um, has to do with the, like the secret knowledge. Teresa talks about the angel as like an aside. She's like, oh, by the way, it was one of the burning ones. It's probably the cherubim. I see them all the time. I can see there's differences between them, but uh, you know they don't tell me which ones they are. Which underneath implies she has this familiarity with watching the goings-on in heaven, and she could tell us a thing or two about angels. So that tends to be what's attached to the image of mysticism. But 
at the beginning of Christian spiritual theology, from the beginning of the church, there was a different word used to describe uh, um, contact with God, uh, and that was asceticism. Uh, you've heard of like the desert ascetics, the desert fathers. Saint Anthony the Great was one of the was called the inaugurator of the Desert Fathers. And so he's one of the perfect images of an ascetic. Ascesis in Greek means elbow grease, basically. Uh, it's hard work that you put in for human education, physical, moral. It's elbow grease. Um, but within a Christian context, it took on a, a, a supernatural end. Could I ask you to read? This is from the life of St. Anthony. Yes, please. Anthony came forth as if from a shrine, like one initiated in sacred mysteries and filled with the spirit of God. The word there in Greek is, it's a really beautiful descriptive word. It's like there's this wave of divinity and Anthony is being carried upon it. Right? Theo foromenos. Please continue. After 20 years of ascetical discipline, his body had normal appearance, neither fat from lack of exercise nor withered from fasting. Could I ask your husband to? The state of his soul was pure. It was neither contracted as if by grief nor lax as if from pleasure. It was possessed by neither laughter nor dejection. He was not troubled by the crowd, not ecstatic at being so acclaimed. Instead, he was wholly balanced, as if governed by reason and established in accordance with nature, like Adam before the fall. That last part is an interesting little add-on because it's not in the earlier manuscripts. And so it seems that as someone was copying the manuscripts, perhaps a monk in a, in a monastery, he thought he could, could summarize all that, what it means to be uh, an ascetic, to be in contact with God, is you become like Adam before the fall. You become radiantly balanced. You become supernaturally human. Right? So it, it, it's, a different, it's a different take on mysticism than uh, than the scene described with Teresa of Avila. Um, and this is where most of Christian uh, spirituality, spiritual theology, focused uh, as it developed, through the church fathers especially. An interesting part, though, that has to do with John Eudes is uh, what's happening here is... Uh, Anthony's friends, after 20 years of him being out in the desert, disciplining himself, um, they wanted him back. And so it's, it's entertaining, the image it portrays, because they charge out to the desert, and he's staying in this um, broken down, abandoned fortress. And they bang on the door as a crowd, as a mob, until he comes out. and. The, that's the crowd that it refers to here. And they were so persuaded, they were so 
impressed with this radiant humanity that Anthony had achieved, that they all left their houses, uh, left their people, gave away all their things, and started to build the city in the desert. Started to build the city of God in the desert. Uh, they wanted to make a perfect society where the, the love of God would reign, where the kingdom of heaven would start to live on earth. The inter interesting thing with John Eudes is that he and Francis de Sales were at a time when the church was shifting instead of coming away from the world to bring the kingdom of God. There was a movement back into the world, back into society to bring the kingdom of heaven to the streets, to the people, to the laity. Uh, there's a point where John Yud says, you know, I'm writing this manual of, of sanctity. It was the kingdom of Jesus. And I, I got to point out to you guys, it's not just for nuns and monks to be holy. We can all be holy. It's the universal call to holiness that Vatican II reminded us of so, uh, so strongly. We have the obligation to be a light to the world, to be in among Gaudium et Spes, the joys and the hopes, the sufferings and the pain of the world. And so that's one of the things that John Hughes will bring to this asceticism. But to step back, I, I got a little ahead of myself. I got excited. Um, if we take the words, they're kind of like asceticism is what we do to reach out to God. They're the practices that discipline us, that bring, build us in virtue. The goal is not to have a body withered from fasting or to be uh, so caught up in our books and our holy reading that we never get out and our body grows fat from lack of exercise. Right? The goal of, of asceticism is to reach out to God and in this sweet spot here you find this glorious humanity. Mysticism tends to focus more on what God does to reach out to us. The God re sending an angel to pierce the bosom of Teresa of Avila and, and cause her rapturous delight. There are problems that happen when you separate, when you focus on one more than the other. If you overemphasize mysticism, you can get almost an obsession with supernatural activity. Um, peak experience. It's like when uh, when the disciples went up to the Mount of the Transfiguration and they saw God. It was this peak experience. They, Jesus was transfigured before them and they wanted to set up tents and stay. Right? But no, they had to go back down the hill. Uh, there are parishioners I've known that they almost go from one peak experience to another to another. They're at a healing mass, a different healing mass, three days every week, and they're always being 
decisively and finally and ultimately delivered from one thing, then a couple days later, again, or another thing. Um, so it's, it's almost like an adrenaline junkie uh, is what can happen when you're too focused on the peak experiences. Um, on the other side, if you focus too much on asceticism, you have tunnel vision on human action. I have my holy text I'm going to read every day. I have my missal, and I have to check all of the boxes, and I have my schedule for the month, for the week, for the year. Um, and then it gets really dangerous oops, when uh, those human actions become the deciding factor in salvation. Well, you skip that word in the Missal at Mass, and so you're doing it wrong, and you're not going to be saved. Or, I forgot, did I only say nine Hail Marys? <laughs> I better go to confession so I don't get sent to hell, right? So in, in both of those cases, the human action is the most important thing in, in your salvation. You can also have blind spots. Uh, you focus, as long as I get to daily mass, I'm Christian. And you know what happens in the parking lot after daily mass, well, that's another <laughs> thing, right? Um, we, swipping, swapping back to the other side, if you focus too much on mystical experiences, it can eclipse the sacraments. It can eclipse the scripture. I've known people who are much more interested in the revelations of St. Joseph to somebody else than they are in the daily readings. Because it's, it can seem much more exciting. So there, the there's trouble that happens when you focus on one to the exclusion of the other. But I think in both cases, the problem is that God is hard to get. God can only be reached if you do all of these activities and do them absolutely right. Or if you go, if you follow this priest because he has the anointing and that's the only time that I can touch the Holy Spirit. Right? On either side of it, God is something far away that only Olympic athletes can reach when they're in the gym at the peak of their performance. Uh, and that's one of the beautiful things about John Hughes' mysticism is he reminds us that God is in us already. And we don't have to be Olympic athletes to reach out and be united with him. And that's one of the things that Father Tanqueray says. He was a venerable um, theologian. He wrote a brick on the spiritual life. There's a joke uh, among old priests I've heard that his writing is so dry, the only way to survive reading a chapter is to, of Father Tanqueray is to have a cup of Tanqueray gin. But, so he wrote in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and on page, page six, I think it is, it's at the very beginning of the book, he's talking about the danger when you separate mysticism too far from asceticism, 
or vice versa. And he says there are some people in, in church history that have been fantastic at maintaining this perfect balance. And he gives a list, and John Eads is one of them. Uh, so I'm not the only person who thinks he's a neat guy. Um, so I would propose to you that uh, with John Eudes' mysticism, with his sense of the closeness of God, the experience of going to the grocery store and checking out can transform into an experience of union with Jesus. Isn't it? I, I have a friend who did the Photoshop on that. <laughs> right? So, how? The, like, the kernel, the, the very, the nucleus of what John Hughes builds everything else on is the mystical body of Christ. You guys, you've probably heard this, this poem, this song, this quote. It's usually attributed to Teresa of Avila. Um, as an aside, no one can find a written down version of it before 1888. Uh, and that version doesn't say anything about Teresa of Avila. So um, we're not sure whether this existed early enough to have influenced John Hughes. But uh, the thought is definitely there. It's there in Teresa of Avila, and it's central to John Hughes. Christ has no hands now but yours, no feet, no eyes. You are now the body of Christ that's going to bless mankind. And so if you open your green books, you'll see the beauty that John Eudes makes out of it. It's page 33, the third paragraph down. Has anyone not found it yet? Could I ask you to start reading, actually? Sure. Thank you. Third paragraph. To understand more clearly this fundamental truth about Christian life and to root it strongly in your soul, bear in mind that Jesus Christ has two kinds of body and two kinds of life. Next one, please. Yeah. yeah, one more. First, there is the personal body which he received from the Blessed Virgin in the life which he lived in his human body while on earth. His second body is his mystical body, the church. St. Paul indeed calls her the body of Christ. His second, First um, Corinthians 12, 27. His second life is the one who lives in this mystical body and in all Christians, its members. Father Bill, could you read the next? This first kind of life, mortal and limited in time, which he lived in his natural body, was fulfilled and ended with his death. But he wills to continue living in his mystical body until the end of time in order to glorify the Father by the actions and sufferings of a mortal life of work and toil, not only during 34 years, In this way, the mortal and temporal life of Jesus has in his mystical body, that is to say, in all Christians, 
is not yet fulfilled, but proceeds toward fulfillment day by day in each true Christian and will not be perfectly complete until the end of time. To me, that's a jaw dropper. The incarnation isn't done yet. It's not fulfilled. It's not complete. We are part of that completion. I ran across this. It's a pretty recent picture. I ran across it online, and I thought it was a beautiful rendition of the mystical body. We are, this is Jesus' second body. And we are his limbs, his muscles, his skin. Could someone pick up on the next page? It gets better. St. Paul writes that he, he is fulfilling the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We can also rightly say that a true Christian, as a member of Jesus Christ, united with him by grace, continues and fulfills the actions that Christ, that Jesus performed while on earth by every one of the actions he performs in the spirit of Jesus. So when a Christian prays, he continues and fulfills the prayer of Jesus. When he works, he continues and fulfills Jesus Christ's work life, and so on, in all the other actions done in a Christian manner. Pat, do you pick up so you see what Christian life is, a continuation and fulfillment of the life of Jesus. You see that our actions must be a continuation of Jesus' actions, and that we must be so many other Jesuses on earth in order to continue here his life and work, to do and suffer everything he wants us to do and suffer in a holy and divine way. In the spirit of Jesus, that is, with the divine and holy dispositions and intentions, Little Jesus is. It's the meaning of the word Christian. We are little Christs. There's a Latin term for it. As an aside, I wanted to hand out these books so you, we could all read directly from it, so that if you want to take it home, you can start scribbling in it right away. Uh, feel free to underline, to write in the margins, and then just make sure you pay before you leave. <laughs> uh, and if you don't want to take it home, feel free to just leave it in the stacks at the side. Um, but, there, I mean, we are other Jesuses in every action we perform in the spirit of Jesus. Uh, there's a member of the Curia, he, I, uh, Cardinal Schoenborn was one of the team that put together the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And he has this book on Christology. And in his section on John Eutes, he says, look, this, it comes all back down to St. Paul's idea that it is no longer I who live. It's no longer only me living. It's also Christ living in me. And John Eudes expressed that in unsurpassable style. So Cardinal Schoenborn's a fan too. Um, it's, it's a whole new way of looking at things. 
especially when we get down to the examples. So that's the idea. How would it be lived out? John Yudes, he loves his details. He loves concrete bullet point lists. He has a chapter in here called in The Kingdom of Jesus. It was his first bestseller. He was the whopping age of 35 when he wrote it. Um, and it's a masterwork. It went out of print every two or three years while he was alive because they just couldn't print them fast enough. Um, in his chapter on sanctifying your daily actions, he says it's possible to live a life that is 100% divinely human. And the way that you do that is every action should be done in honor of and in union with. And he repeats it. It's almost like a, like a mathematical formula. It's a technical term for him. Um, so one example, he, a grace before meals. Jesus, I offer you this meal in honor of the meals you had on earth. So we stop and think, well, what meals did he have? Well, what was that like? What would it be like to sit down with Jesus? Would he talk with his mouth full? <laughs> would, he, would he laugh at my jokes? I mean, there's the, the human imagination can pull out some beautiful things in, in meditating on the actions Jesus took that we can then honor in our own. Oh, Jesus probably would have been really attentive to the people around him. Or if he was really tired, he probably snuggled into his mom and laid his head on his shoulder, on her shoulder. There are things we can imagine that we can imitate in honor of Jesus, and that's Adam reaching out to God. And then God comes in with the union. I wish to partake of this meal in union with the love with which you give it to me. He goes on to say, I'm eating this because you love me and you want me to be nourished. Uh, I'm eating this because it's part of your plan to, to love the world. Uh, when we do things like Jesus, when we do things in the spirit of Jesus, because of our baptism, we can actually do them in union with Jesus. When the water is poured over the head of a person in baptism, they're told, you have put on Christ. You have put on Christ, in him you have been baptized. Do you guys sing that? Okay, okay. Um, we are made part of his body, and so when we do things in union with Jesus, it's, it's reality, it's truth. We are continuing the incarnation. And it's not just in the peak experiences. It's at meals, recreation, reading, conversations. And I like, I like what he does with conversations because he gives us details afterwards. When Jesus had a conversation, there was humility and meekness, modesty and charity that marked his friendly discourse with persons of every type. And by, therefore, when we engage in conversation with humility, meekness, modesty, we are 
actually united to Christ. We are continuing the converse, the incarnation by modesty and charity, friendly discourse. Jesus' presence is being continued in the world. So what would that look like at Vons? <laughs> it's a... It's really fun to think about. I, I find John Yutes has more tips on that. We go back into our green books. Um, page 59, the last paragraph. Uh, and before we start reading, especially with Thanksgiving just around the corner, I think this is, this is something that can be helpful because like the person at the grocery store often we interact with them as a tool or as a machine. They're there to get our, our groceries into the bags and take our money and then we can get home. And sometimes we say, oh, thanks, have a good day. But it can, it can stay on the level of pleasantry and we're not actually thanking them as if they are a person as if they are a child of God with infinite beauty and infinite value. And so that's one of the things I really like in this passage from John Yudes. Jim, are you close enough to a book to read? Let third and bottom? Mm -hmm. Yes, last paragraph. Consider, therefore, your neighbor, your neighbor as he exists in God and God in him. Look upon him as, a, as being come forth from God's heart. Excuse me. Look upon him as a being come forth from God's heart and goodness, one participating in God, created to return to God. No one day, to one day be ensconced in the bosom of God to glorify him eternally. A being in whom God will be eventually, eternally glorified, either out of mercy or out of justice. John Eudes was an orator. He writes exactly like he would preach. And so he goes on and repeats the same thing a few times from a different angle. Uh, a different angle. But it's, he says things like, this person is a child of the same father created for the same end, belonging to the same Lord, redeemed at the same price, the blood of Jesus. And so if, we're, if we take a moment in the checkout line and think, wow, this person who's offering the service has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And... and just to stop and, and recognize that, recognize them as a person, look them into the eye, call them by name, be interested in how their day is going. By doing this, you are treating that person exactly as Jesus wants them to be treated, and therefore continuing the incarnation at the checkout stand. And it's amazing. Since, since I started meditating on this, I've been trying it out. It's amazing how people, it's like 
like a dry flower that had water poured on it. It's amazing how people just, they open up and they beam. And then there's even more to, to glory in. Oh, you have an amazing smile. And it's it becomes a... I like to think of it as I'm stuck in the hug between Jesus and them, except the arms are mine. Uh, it's, it is a mystical experience when we encounter another person and when we treat them as Jesus would like them to be treated. We're just not always aware of it. We're not often aware of it. But it is the truth. There's another piece I wanted to pick up that's not as edifying, uh, because it's, what about when we're in pain? Uh, John Hughes had a dear, dear friend who they helped each other a great deal in acts of charity, in saving the lives of plague victims, and giving them someone to hold their hand while they died, and in bringing the good news to a convent where most of the nuns never thought about Jesus. Uh, it's one of the, somebody said it was a convent where there was more discussion of kittens and ermine and lap dogs than about the gospel. Uh, that was, that was the missionary field of the abbess, Lawrence Budos. She was the close friend of John Hughes. And she was really close to her brother. It was just a really deep friendship of the heart. And at one point, her brother passed away. And it was really hard on her. And she grieved heavy duty. And John Hughes sent her this letter. Uh, with the same insight, but in a painful context. Could you read the first? He is there, abiding with you, present in your anguish and suffering. He is there, all love, and completely transformed into love with you. He is there, preparing and ordaining these sufferings out of love for you. Can you do the next sentence too? The next one, yeah. He is there, guiding and leading you along the paths of his love, drawing you towards the perfection of love by means of these trials and adversities. He is there, bearing with you through his love, all the anguish of mind and body that you are bearing, even though you may not often be aware of it, he is nonetheless infallibly present. Otherwise, you would find it impossible to support even the least of the ills you are suffering now. He's there. We may not be aware of it, just like in the checkout stand. We may not be aware of his love for the person across from it. But also, when we're hurting, it's not that God is over here and he's looking at, gosh, I bet that's terrible. I wouldn't want to be you right now. 
it's not that. It's that he's in us feeling the pain that we're feeling. If we're one of his limbs, the nerves that carry pain through us carry it straight to the head. He's in you bearing the anguish as well. If we really if we really dive into this reality that we are a limb in the body of Christ and we're aching for separation. Somebody passed away who's close to us and the the hole that they left in our life hurts so much. And Jesus hurts even more that we won't get to snuggle that person again, that we won't get to see their face for years to come. He feels when we're wronged, when somebody does something horrible to us, it hurts so deep and it hurts Jesus more. It's, it's, so this is where the, the idea of surrender from the title of the talk comes in because for me at least, when tragedy hits, it's really easy to get my dukes up and I'm like, why would you do this to me? Don't you see that I'm hurting? But this insight from John Hughes reverses that totally because he is in you already. And in the mystery of human freedom, he doesn't reach in and break someone else's freedom to keep something from happening to you. He loves them too much to take away their freedom. But that doesn't mean he leaves us on our own to get through it. He hurts with us. He feels our desire for justice. He feels our need for union. And he's already working on bringing everybody into that peace and that union. There's one of the first prayers by John Woods that I found that just made my jaw drop was his bedtime prayer. Uh, it's, it, it, and because it's surrender, but it's also liberation. So, Jesus, I offer you the rest I'm about to take in honor of your eternal rest in the bosom of your father, in honor of your earthly rest upon the bosom of your mother, Beautiful things to, to meditate on. I offer you every breath I take this night and every beat of my heart. Make each one into an act of praise and adoration of God. God doesn't need our Olympic efforts. God needs our heart to beat. He sure wants our heart to beat. He sure wants us to breathe. And each act can be an act of praise. And if we are united in this beautiful, great body of Christ, then as we sleep, Jesus can unite me with all the praises offered in heaven and in earth by all the angels and saints. 
by the Blessed Mother and by his very self tonight and for all eternity. It gives me, it gave me chills when I first read it. Um, Christ is incarnate in the world and bringing it towards healing, toward peace, toward beauty. We are one of his limbs, but we're not his only limb. And so everyone around us is working on it. All of the angels, all of the saints are working on saving the world. And every time that we treat people as Jesus would want them to be treated, every time we hurt at something that would hurt Jesus, we are continuing the incarnation. Jesus unites us to his body. We're not alone. Yes. You know what's amazing is that a lot of this night prayer is the same, similar to what Jesus' words to St. Faustina were. When she has the prayer that Jesus told her to say before she goes to sleep at night, it's in the diary of St. Faustina. It's in Jesus' words. Cool. It's so simple, so, which of course would have been hundreds of years later. Sure. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Do you remember some of the. Some it's of the about the every beat. Okay. And they, um, they just to be really conscious that, that you're giving. You're giving your sleep to the Lord. You're giving your rest in union with Him, and like you're not wasting time on your sleep. You're giving all of that to the Lord. Cool. Similar. That's but I mean, that's eloquent. They're both eloquent. One's the words of Jesus, and this is Saint John Hughes is pretty much way ahead of his time. <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts? This is the end of my end of my content. Do you guys have reflections? Unfortunately, I, a lot of the good stuff was in the green one. This one's in the blue one. Uh, we do have some copies if you want to take one home. We have copies of that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, your thread of thought uh, that comes to mind is there, you see a bumper sticker. What would Jesus do? Uh-huh. And a lot of what you're saying relates very much to that saying. Yeah, absolutely. The, and the astounding thing is when we do what Jesus would do, it's mystical union. Mm-hmm. It's it, as much an encounter with Christ as St. Teresa's was. That was an experience of mystical union. So is, so is that. If when we do what Jesus would do, we are in a state of mystical union. Are those two parts, Thanksgiving and surrender, an important part of when when you when you talk to us? about the four parts of prayer, gratitude, uh-huh. thanksgiving, uh-huh. uh, repentance, <laughs> sins. Yeah, that's in there. 
Okay, and then finally, surrender. Yeah. Yeah. Junyud's four moments of prayer, he he always ends with that casting yourself adrift in the ocean of mercy, that that liberating surrender at the end. Yeah, and. I think when I've talked about the four moments of prayer, I like to emphasize that they're more than just things that happen while you're on your knees. They're ways of life. And so you can live out a moment of unitive prayer in thanksgiving for the checkout guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. You were talking about even calling the cashier by name. I was sitting with my friend in a restaurant, and I mean, we're always nice, you know, how, how are you? But she suddenly started calling my name, and the first thought was, how does she know this person? And then I realized, oh, he's got a name tag. I never in my life looked at anybody's name tag. know who they are. Mm-hmm. And you're right, he was like, this, she calls my name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and even more when you say someone's name like it's good news. Uh, yeah. And, and that's in the Gospels too. When the rich young man uh, comes to see Jesus, there's that punchy little line, but it's amazing. Jesus looked upon him and loved him. Sounds like that's what your friends continued at the restaurant. Yes, sir. It came to mind uh, as you were speaking about uh, Jesus being there. When I was, my last time as pastor, uh, the 11 days into being pastor, the airplanes dove into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the field in Pennsylvania. And uh, I believe it was a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. And all week long, I'm thinking, what am I going to say on Sunday? Because everybody's saying, where was God in all this? And then there was an editorial cartoon, an editorial page, I don't know which paper, maybe the New York Times or some major paper, and it showed a figure that was certainly supposed to be Jesus sitting on a piece of the rubble with his hands over his face and the caption said and Jesus wept Uh so that Sunday I said that's where Jesus was he was in the midst of the rubble suffering with the people that's the kind of mysticism I think you're talking about yeah It can change the way that we experience tragedy. It can change the way we experience groceries. Um, yeah. I want. I don't want to keep you guys away from the cake. Or <laughs> uh, ice cream. Or ice cream, which is rapidly melting. But there's one more slide I want to show you. If you like this, tell your friends. If you didn't. Um, so 
you may already be involved in some of this, but John Mutes has such amazing stuff. We're trying to get it out as much as we can in all the ways we can. So if you want to be able to pick up John Mutes from your nightstands, uh, anytime you're ready, we've got books. They're here and they're on Amazon. If you want to hear about him every three months, we've got a mail newsletter that we send out. If you want to hear him once a month, we have an email. I think you're on the email list, right? We now, you can hear from him every morning if you want. Uh, yep, we've got our poster here. It's been in the back of the, of the church for a while. Every day we put together a beautiful quote from John Hughes with a beautiful image and send it out by text message. Uh, Ruth Ann says she always knows it's 8 o'clock because yes. <laughs> John Hughes sends her a text. Uh, so if you want to try that out, you compose a new text message, you send it to 555-888, and the message should be the three letters SJE. And if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe anytime. But uh, we will have a sign-up sheet if you'd like to add your email address or your mailing address to our monthly or quarterly uh, material as well. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. One of the things that I've noticed from your teaching from the reading that we've been doing is that John St. John Hughes was um, really got that there's no time and space with God. Absolutely. He really got that. Um, he really got that he could be part of the relationship of, the, of God, the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That he's that he's in a relationship with them here on earth, as, as while they're in while they're in heaven, while they're that he's. I just it's so, it's kind of a supernatural thing that he, he got it like at such a deep level that when he says I offer this conversation in union with the conversation you had here on earth, I mean who thinks like that? Only somebody who's out of time and space, not in time and space. Uh -huh. So he, he, he was very, uh, very far out, very enlightened. Yeah. I've been really impressed. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that uh, that speaks to the reason why he's been considered to be a doctor of the church. Oh, definitely. Oh, wow. Uh, because saints are great examples, but every now and then this one comes along and they're just... They're, they're way out there and so deeply helpful. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. You know, I, I don't quite know how to say this, but this sounds like it's doable. Yes! <laughs> yes! It's doable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, about these saints, you know, and they're, they're being roasted alive and all this. And I don't know how they're going to wrap that for me, you know. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But this sounds doable. And, and it's it's a mysticism that you don't have to be Teresa of Avila to have, and it's a, a practice of daily holiness that you don't have to move out to the desert to, to have. <laughs> yeah. And it's a balance. You also pointed out it's a balance. Yeah. yeah. I'd be happy to. Yeah, I think you 
No one's invited me to. That'd be that'd be great. If you if anyone here can think of a group that they could get me invited to. Okay. Okay. That would be great. We we put this in our last newsletter too. We have Buddhist speakers that have amazing material. If you know of a group that you can can get us invited to, that would be wonderful. Um, I'll be over at the book table afterwards. You guys need to get this cake. The ice cream's melting. (laughs) But let's talk more about that. Thank you, guys. Special thanks to Steve. And since it's a famous day, you all sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday.